You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, it's Pastor Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church in Europe, just moments away from entering into one of our sermon exhortations, and we are so thankful that you've come today to join with us for that experience. And here is our one ask of you for today's sermon. Would you work hard to stay focused all the way through the sermon? Like, I know that's really hard to do at sometimes, right? Like when you start going on 45 and one hour sermons, there can be just points where you get a little distracted. You start thinking about things on your phone, what you're going to do after church. But here's the thing. The whole word of God being preached through these sermons is so profitable for your life. Just believe that's true. And so if you can set that expectation for yourself, this morning that from the moment that this sermon comes on and I say, welcome to the book of Ephesians or whatever the sermon's going to be about all the way until we get to the end where we say it's in your beautiful, majestic name that we pray. Amen. Man, everything in between those lines, lean in, focus, because God has something special for you. Let's be great imitators of Christ in how we listen to this sermon today. Grace and peace. New book, different rules, not a problem, we'll solve them if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do. Let's open them to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be all up in this text in just a little bit. And, and today, we get the glorious opportunity of transitioning folks from, from one book of the Bible to, guess what, another. So, so if you're new here to RCC and you don't know our three-year three story here yet, one way that we could kind of track through and describe our story is across our journey through the scriptures. Because first, our church opened its doors in, in June 9th of 2019 with our launch of the DNA series. And, and there I, I walked on the stage at the Arbory, praise Christ, and, and I lifted up the, the, the true reality that there's about 350,000 churches in America, and, and that within each one of these churches, there are values and characteristics that, that each church kind of embodies, and that's the church's DNA. And so we kicked off our DNA series by exploring the Bible all over the place, and we laid out 10 marks that Redemption City Church would be known for and, and ultimately marked by. And let me just tell you, folks, it was it was legit. And, and those values and characteristics um, for us would be that we'd be marked by the gospel, right? Like, like the good news of what Jesus came to do, that he, that he came and he walked among us as God, and he wrapped himself in his flesh, and he walked around, and he, and he healed, and he, and he conquered um, disease, and then he, he died on the cross, and he went into the grave for three days, right? And he came out as the conquering king that he is, and he gave out gift, gifts, gifts, and this opportunity for us to be in a right relationship with him. And then we learned what it meant to be marked by grace, and, and we talked about grace and mercy and how they collide into us having the peace of God. And we talked about what it means to be marked by generosity, and, and because of what the gospel does and, and the goodness of God's grace, we, we are free to be generous as the people of God. And then we talked about what it means to be marked by gathering. Okay, so you got the gospel, you got God's grace grace coming into your life. And because of that generosity, we can come now into relationship, folks. We can be the people 
the people of God. And then we talked about what it means to be marked by going. Oh man, Matthew chapter 28 came on the scene. And we talked about what it means for us to go out and to evangelize those who are in a vast amount of darkness. And then we talked about um, one of our values and characteristics would be being marked by biblical manhood and womanhood. And so we camped out, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and then we kind of went throughout the scriptures, and we looked at what, what God has to say about biblical manhood and, and womanhood. And then we talked about that we want to be a people that are marked by unity in our families at home. And, and so we talked about what it means for, for the husband and the wife and the children to collide together in a family unit that glorifies God. And then we talked about, folks, what it means to be marked by covenant membership. Oh, and we talked about what the ecclesia really is and, and what it means for us to, to belong to a people who also belong to us and, and the beauty that comes from God's design. And let me tell you, that series was amazing because it laid a firm foundation on how, how we would operate as, as a church. And, and it was our rally cry against the darkness, and it remains our anthem today unto the Lord that we're here now, praise Christ, and that we're ready we're so ready to serve. And, and from there, we start to march through whole books of the Bible, folks. Like I said, one at a time. And that's because we believe it's the most faithful way. Like for me and, and, and Pastor Jack and, and, and those who are leading this church, we believe it's the most faithful way of pursuing edification in God's word for the glad destination of sanctification in light of in light of eternity, folks, and, and that really is our aim, and that really is our hope. And believe it or not, we study the whole book of Ephesians from, from September of 2019 all the way through June of 2021 across 37 sermons, unpacking 54 hours of preaching. And we saw all that God had for us, folks. And Ephesians, folks, with Jesus, we spent time we spent time looking at God and His purposes in just four short pages of Ephesians. But, but that's how much we saw that God had for us. And, and let me tell you, it was so, so legit because we learned what it truly means to move out of our story right into, into God's story. We, like we learned how to sit, 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 and know that, know that He's God. And we talked about what it means to be chosen and adopted and forgiven and redeemed and, and, and equipped, right? And, and sealed by the Holy Spirit and forever, forever wealthy from a kingdom perspective. So we, we deepened out and we, and we learned what it means for us to be in a right relationship with God. We experienced our Father's love. And then we talked about, therefore, now that we know who we are, how then are we to walk as the people of God? And so we just camped out there. We learned um, that God is telling us to, to not do some things and to say no, 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 right? Against various ways of practicing and living out our lives. And then God also lifted up and equipped us with, the, uh, with what we should do as the people of God, as we imitate Christ. And we should say yes, 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 to those things. Oh man. And in and, and knowing who we are and therefore how to walk, like, isn't that isn't that what we're all wanting and, and looking for as the people of God? So so whether it was as husbands or fathers or or wives or mothers or children or employers or employees, all of it, all of it was covered by God sufficiently in his word, and we were thoroughly, folks, 
we're thoroughly equipped in the book of Ephesians. And, but, I, but it didn't end there because finally we learned at the end of the book of Ephesians that we're in a very real war, a, a Christian war against Satan and all his little wicked demons and, and, and their insidious plans to, to steal and kill and destroy all things that are holy and pleasing to our God. And so we deepened out on the glad reality that we have God on our side, praise Christ, and that with his strength and with his power, right, we talked about that his might, his reserved cosmic power, we can stand armored up as victorious, folks, as victorious Christians. Okay, now, now here's the thing. It actually takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And the last time I checked in with you guys back in the Jonah series, most of us still want to be whole Christians, right? Like, like we want to grow at a, at a godly pace towards the, towards the godly um, peace that the Lord has set before us. Like we want to grow at a, at a godly pace towards the godly purposes that we get to have from the Lord of all purpose. And we, and we most definitely want to grow in, in grace and knowledge and truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so carrying that energy and that aim and that hope and that trajectory, we checked out of the New Testament resort, if, if you will, and we went backpacking all the way down to the Old Testament. Oh man, and we and we camped out there because in October of 2021 we arrived at the proverbial messy motel of the book of Jonah. Yeah, that's right. And and I say the messy motel because basically the the categories and the subject matters that are covered in the book of Jonah are often things that are considered unattractive and and and, and we don't want to really talk about as squeaky clean and and morally bent Christians. We, we want to slip a lot of what, what God has to say in Jonah underneath, folks, underneath the rug. Because in Jonah, we spent seven sermons. I know, it's crazy. We spent seven sermons across 14 hours, excuse me, 16 hours of preaching, learning that God is the God of, of second chances and fifth chances and tenth chances and 245th thousand chances and yet we often we just don't come on remember this we we don't agree with god and we sometimes don't want to partner with him when he grants these opportunities and these chances to those certain people who we don't believe are worthy are worthy of that grace and that offering of redemption okay so so this book all came down to god's great compassion and our our rightful partnership in it that he's calling us to as believers. And so basically, the book of Jonah was a love letter from God to his people to help us both see and avoid the trappings and the danger of our unforgiving and sometimes, honestly, our hostile hearts towards those who he deems he wants to save and rescue. But, but look at me. God rescued us too. That's true. Right? We've learned that. We're all a bunch of Jonas. Like, like despite ourselves, God saved and he rescued you and me, even though we were not deserving of it. And so we learn that we too are, call, are, called, uh, are called, just like Jonah, to arise, go, and to call out as, as ambassadors of Jesus to people who are in a vast amount of darkness, and we are to offer them redemption, just like God first offered it, folks. 
He first offered it to us. So, so in a large way, the book of Jonah broke down the false narrative that we serve an angry and a hostile God, right? We said, stop that. No, no, no. And that changes everything when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because once we see God, oh man, once we see God the right way, like, like track with me, once we see that God appoints wells and storms and, and worms not, not to destroy us and, and not to punish us because he's angry, but to actually love us well and to help us move out of our own story of brokenness and despair and sin and hiding into his glorious story where wholeness and, and healing and light and purpose comes on the scene. Like once we really, really understand that, that God is not angry with us, but that he's radically focused on loving us well and bringing us forward in a right relationship. And, and once we understand that he is the, the perfect, the perfect judge in how he bears justice, but, but, that, that, but that that justice looks different than ours, it's at that point that our entire orientation to who God is and what God's about and therefore who we are and what we are to be about, folks, it's at that point that it changes in all the right ways. Because, because all of a sudden, <gasps> healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, folks, it becomes ours and it becomes central and not peripheral to the Christian life, right? Okay, and, and that's why we then turned our attention to the to the book of Philemon. This is our church history. Like we turned to the book of Philemon, right? And and and, and that's um, excuse me, in this one page, I know it's just one page of the Bible, this one page beauty anchored our hearts to the subtle inner workings of how the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian navigates difficult and complex relationship breaches that happen in between and within the family, the family of God. So, so basically the book of Philemon got all Dr. Phil on us and stuff, right? Oh man. And, and it was legit. Like, by the way, I said difficult and complex because some of the most difficult and, um, and complex parts of our relationships aren't always black and white, right? It's not always straightforward, like right or wrong isn't always what's going on within, within the center of our family problems. Like sometimes, and dare I say oftentimes, both sides have partially thing, things that are right in some ways, and, and both parties usually in an attention point have things that they're both partially wrong in. And so when emotions are, are running high and, and things are getting complex, when breaches happen in the family of God... Folks, we need to know what God says about that. And so, and so in the book of Philemon, we dived deep into the, that conundrum in some real and profound ways because God spoke through Paul so that we could learn that gospel reconciliation isn't about right or wrong. Are you with me? Instead, it's about God. It's about forgiveness. It's about having kingdom-focused perspectives and trajectories. And it's about identifying who our teammates are actually are and who our real opponent actually is and oh man oh I, I how i long to tell you more and more about what god has nestled in the book of philemon one day now here we go even after all that we just kept cooking and leaning and cooking and leaning into god's word and folks that's because redemption city church 
is just getting started. Like, like despite COVID and despite all the, the, the complexities and the adversities that our little church has experienced, and, and despite all the ups and downs that we work through, I truly believe with all my heart that this church is just getting started. And so after spending over two years straight studying whole books of the Bible, three of them, by the way, we recently turned our attention to our new series titled The Redemptive Christianity Series. And, and, and this series is all about learning how to practice the saving presence of God in our lives. And we've been learning in this series that it's all about rediscovering and, and reclaiming a Christianity in a way that ushers us, oh man, that it ushers us back into a right relationship with Jesus that is radically present and, and deeply true and, and vastly satisfying. And, and it's about moving away from spiritual, spiritual foundations that are often rooted in Christian traditions and just our family upbringing and radically and courageously, folks, moving forward and towards a foundation that is rooted in God's sacred Word. And so far, we've been comparing and, and contrasting the, the moral lens from, from the redemptive lens of how we approach the Christian life, for those of you who've been tracking with us. And we discussed the reality that it is truly impossible. You know where I'm going? It's truly impossible for us to, to do life for Jesus if we're not doing life with Jesus. Folks, we learned about that. It simply cannot it cannot be done. And so, and, and we've learned that the, the moral lens creates hurdles and, and obstacles for people that are far from God to come into the kingdom of God. And that equally, the moral, it's not just what it does to, to those who are far away and, and in the darkness. We, we always focus on that, but, but that it equally, the moral lens creates godless expectations and false narratives on long term Christians. We talked about what, what we experience as long-term Christians because it keeps us from resting in Jesus and experiencing that, that passion and that Christian excitement that God has set before us. And, and yet, those grace-filled, redemptive lenses, right? We unpack that. Man, we've been talking about adjusting to the true redemptive lenses that are revealed in scripture because when we do that those corrective glasses start to open up opportunities for us to invite everyone and i mean everyone into the kingdom of god irrespective folks of their starting point or their pain points of life and and we're also reminded that we too as christians can experience the kingdom of god in a way that isn't a moral checklist all the time thank God. And, and with that foundation, late in part one, we then spent three more sermons across almost nine hours looking at the role of scriptures in our lives. That's where we just came from, the role of scriptures. And so we explored the canonicity of the Bible and which books are holy and, and sacred and, and folks, which books simply are not. And, and then we discussed the, the extent of the Bible's authority, meaning how far does it go? And then we talked about the, the nature of the Bible's authority, like how, how does it work and, and where does the power come from? And then finally, we talked about the, the purpose of the scripture, like what does it do in relationship to us 
for our lives. And finally, we, we looked at what it means to be biblically serious Christians that are deeply effective and, and kingdom-bent and yet incredibly joyful and excited and passionate about life and opportunities with others and definitely our relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you, though we are taking a planned pause right now in our RCS series, I believe that all that God has for us in the Redemptive Christianity series, folks, it is most definitely just getting started. So man, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word is so alive and is so active here in our small yet yet active church. This truly is a great place for those who want to be amazing student learners and activators of God's word within within their lives. And and now we're, we're pivoting into our next sermon series titled The Book of Proverbs Becoming Wiser and Kingdom Focused. And, and this series is going to be all about becoming better equipped at being wise in our everyday challenges of, of life and, and relationships to be best positioned to thrive now and in light of eternity. Folks, it's about becoming wise so we can be like Ephesians chapter 5, imitations of, of Jesus. Like, that's our call. And, and so I'm so stoked for this opportunity because now we get to take all of our learnings from the Redemptive Christianity series on the role of Scripture, and folks, we get to put it in practice. Basically, I'm saying it's game time. Like, like we get to read with Jesus at our coffee table, and we get to read with an expectation to actually hear to hear his voice now. Like that's good news. Like, folks, we get to orientate ourselves in the Holy Spirit to experience Jesus right now in our life experiences as the book of Proverbs comes to life. Praise Christ. And so, so the plan and the hope is to spend the next three to, to five sermons across five to about eight or nine hours of preaching, laying a firm, firm, firm foundation on what the book of Proverbs is, and then establishing how how it works. And, and then we're going to explore a, a few Proverbs in and of themselves and that will help us to launch forward as as a church. And so the end goal, right? The end goal will be for us to explore back and forth and in and out between the, the Proverbs series and the Redemptive Christianity series. So we'll do a little bit of Redemptive Christianity series, and then we'll do a little bit of, of Proverbs series, and we'll kind of play that game for quite a while. Okay, okay, so let's do this, because that brings us to today part one of our Proverbs series titled Foundations and Proclamations, segment A of this conversation, and it's all about approaching the book with confidence. Okay, now, unlike any other book of the Bible, this is where we start, unlike any other book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs is not directly talking about God's story or Christ's coming. It's okay, we're going we're gonna to be okay. But, but rather, the book of Proverbs invites us to learn how to actually live today in such a way that best positions us to live righteously and courageously in a complex world with complex decisions that we have to make, folks, every single day. And we will need the Holy Spirit to impart His power so that we might see the true wisdom, 
that are nestled in these pages of the book of Proverbs that, so that we can be aiming our lives at being better ambassadors with kingdom perspectives and kingdom agendas, folks, as our end. We got to deal with that later on. And, and so to start things off, I want you to know that the book of Proverbs is really a collection of writings that can be broken down into about seven sections that I will show you in just in just a little bit. Now, we won't necessarily be working through this uh, this um, this series, you know, chapter by chapter and, and verse by verse, like we've done our other book series of Jonah, Philemon, and, and Ephesians. Like, the book of Proverbs doesn't work that way. Because, folks, if we did that in the book of Proverbs, it would be like us reading 1,000 supernatural fortune cookies and, and basically just reading them all in order of how they fell out of a box or something and, and try to make sense of them that way. No bueno, folks. It it trust me. We we wouldn't get very far at all. So so instead, I'll spend a large portion of today's sermon exploring the construction of the book. Are you tracking with me? And then camping out for a couple sermons covering Solomon's opening words that powerfully to be, um, depict two things. With one being like what God created the book for. Like, what, what's this book for? Like, what's its intention? And then, and then number two, we're going to be learning about the foundational truths that we need to best access what God is saying to us right now in real time from, from this book. Because remember, all scripture is theopneustos, breathe out by God. Okay? Not Solomon. And, and don't you forget that. And that means the Proverbs are completely God's thoughts, and they're completely and sufficiently God's words, and they are most definitely God's voice from heaven, intentionally sent to help us become wiser, to practice kingdom-focused behavior in our lives that leads to salvation. That is a mouthful, folks, but we are going to learn about that in a real way. And with that backdrop and that expectation, let's pray and let's invite ourselves into the act of presence of God because he's more alive than we could ever imagine. So, so let's talk with him. Let's talk with him now. Let's, let's pray. Abba Father, we want today to be the beginning of something different, something so categorically different than before. So, so as we set the stage for, for your word to be read and preached and understood and activated in our lives, may you perform miracles of desire and, and urgency and and understanding. But first, there's order here, Lord. And, and our first order of business is to understand this book that you created both, both long ago and yet that you actively still communicate through today. Therefore, Holy Spirit, ground us today as we sort of go to school and look at this book from a 30,000 foot perspective. However, help us, help us to not get lost in this groundwork um, to, to, excuse me, to not get lost in this groundwork sermon, but instead guide us to teach us in a way that propels us away from old habits of solving the Bible. Use me to facilitate some groundwork today that leads to an encouraging and an inspiring conversation like a nurse that checks our weight and evaluates our blood pressure and checks our health and prepares us for the main goal of sitting us prepped and ready to actually meet with our physician 
Oh man, a nurse prepares us to meet with our doctor. So, so use me today as a proverbial nurse that charts the book of Proverbs down well. Holy Spirit, help me to scale the book of Proverbs weight and to, and to accurately measure the height of its impact on our lives. But, but may we also recognize that the main appointment is in the reading and the experience of your word that will occur more and more as this sermon series progresses. So so we we anticipate great future appointments with you God as our chief physician and we can't we simply can't wait. But but nevertheless be our guide today Holy Spirit and especially guide my tongue to make this book known to your people. It's for your beautiful name that we pray and that I preach. Amen. Man, I love my job. Let's let's do this. Okay. Okay. So did you know that there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? Yep. 31. And and did you know that these 31 chapters are much less of a book and way more of a collection of writings? I know. It's it's true. And and within these collections are their own unique subcollection of writings that are also their own set of standard that have their own set of standards and rules too. And I know it's getting already it's already getting weird and and kind of difficult, huh? Okay. Well, well I warned you that this book is completely different than the book of Ephesians, Philemon, and Jonah. Okay. Okay. So, so the best way that I can show you all this is to br- is to break Proverbs into these seven collections that make the most sense, honestly, to to my brain, and I'm hoping that this breakdown will equally serve you well. Two. And so, so here's a quick chart that gives you a snapshot of, of how I kind of see God communicating to us in seven kind of different ways across the book of Proverbs. Here they are. They're going to be on, they're going to be on your screen. Here are the seven collections of God's communication in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so so as you can see here in the graphic, um, this is how my how, how I kind of see it. There's there's section one of there's the first collection of writings, and it's going to cover chapters one. One through nine, and and the main and the uh, writer here is going to be Solomon. He's going to come on the scene. Now we're not going to unpack what's happening in each of these collections. Not not yet. We're going to get to that in just a little bit later in today's sermon. Okay. So in the second section or collection of writings, we um, we have Solomon as the writer again, and this is going to be our our largest kind of segment of the entire book, and it covers chapters ten, as you can see, all the way to the mid section of chapter. 22. Okay, so in this third collection of the writings, it's going to cover about two chapters, rough or take, and it's going to be, the writer is going to be the sayings of the wise early, the sayings of the wise early. We'll, we'll talk about who they were as well. And then the fourth collection of writings that you'll see is going to cover um, chapter 24, verse 23, to about chapter 34. So this is another kind of more larger segment of the book of Proverbs. And the writer of that segment is the sayings of the wise late, not early, but late. Okay. So then in the fifth collection of the book of Proverbs, it's going to cover chapters 25 through through 29. And the writers, plural, are going to be from the school of Hezekiah, Really? Wow, this is what, what's that about? Okay, and then in the sixth collection of the writings, which covers one chapter, a standalone chapter, chapter 30 to be more specific, it's going to be written by King Agur. Okay, and then finally in the seventh collection, it's going to be another standalone 
ch um, chapter of Proverbs, chapter 31, to be more precise, and it's going to be the writer. It's going to be King Lemuel. King Lemuel. Okay, okay. So with this brief initial glance at Proverbs, let's first take a few minutes to kind of explore where Proverbs fits into the Bible, right? Because this is this is so different. Like we spent a lot of time getting this into Jonah because we came from Paul in the epistle and then we were in Jonah and I had to kind of reframe us and to be to be in story mode, right? Narrative mode. Okay, now we're going into, into a whole different thing. So so let's explore where the book of Proverbs fits into the Bible and how God chose to lay it out. Now, if you were to go to seminary, okay, um, they would teach you that the book of Proverbs is one of six books that are referred to as the wisdom literature. Repeat after me, the wisdom literature. Say it. Yes, yes. Okay, so, so let's put them up in their entirety so you can see Proverbs in juxtaposition to its family of writing. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, so, so here are the six books of the wisdom literature. Um, so we got Psalms, we got Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, we have Job, we have Song, Songs of Solomon, and we have Lamentations. Okay, and folks, for a large period of biblical uh, um, of time in biblical history, these six books of the wisdom literature were actually separated into two groups that I think honestly is still quite helpful for us to think through in our framework of our proverb series. So, so I'm going to present right now these two groups or, or categories for us now because they're going to be very important later on as we continue to deepen out in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so here's the first of the two categories of how we break these six books, this, this wisdom literature, into two very distinctly different categories. Here's the first one. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, the, the, the didactic literature. Repeat after me. The didactic literature. Okay, so the didactic literature covers Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, now, don't worry. You do not have to get, get all freaked out trying to remember this fancy word didactic, didactic. Just know that the word didactic essentially means teaching. That's what it means. Didactic means teaching. So basically, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are designed by God to primarily teach us things about life with kingdom focuses and with our hearts bent towards eternity, okay? So, so that's what's going on. So, so Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are didactical or teaching wisdom literature, Okay, okay, so let's look at the second group of the wisdom literature and how those other three books are categorized. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, so, so this is the devotional literature. Everybody say the devotional literature. Okay, so Psalms, Songs of Solomon, and Lamentations, that's the, that's the devotional literature. Now, I don't want you to think that these three books specifically aren't teaching us important things because they obviously and most definitely are, are definitely doing that, but rather I want to invite you into the understanding of what their primary function and focus is as a devotional literature with devotional purposes. Does that, does that make sense? Now, now, when I say devotional purposes, I'm essentially saying that Psalms and Lamentations and the Song of Solomon's function is to usher us to spend 
one-on-one time with God, both in prayer and reflection, others will call it meditation, as we wrestle through our primal emotions. That's the key. Track with me. And primal emotion. What's primal emotions? I got you. And so our primal emotions are things like anger and fear and disappointment and frustration and excitement and hate and things like that. Okay, you with me? Oh, yes. We're going to get this. Okay, so basically, God speaks. Jesus speaks through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job to teach us important themes and subject matters for our life. And that's the didactical literature or didactic literature. And then, and then God speaks through Psalms and Songs of Song, Solomon, and Lamentations to create an opportunity, folks, for us to converse with him more intimately as we work through our primal emotions. And that's, and that's the devotional literature. Okay, so in other words, the didactic teaching literature is more of a one-way conversation where God is communicating. You get it with me? It's a one-way, like God is communicating with us as a teacher to the class, like he's teaching us something. He's speaking and he's teaching. And our intended purpose as a student in the didactic teaching wisdom literature is to sit and to listen with great circumspection as students in a classroom focused on understanding what our teacher is teaching us and asking questions where we need to as we track along. Listen, we are to study hard and to listen well as Jesus speaks in the, in the, the didactic teaching literature, always ready to ask good questions to our teacher in response to what he's teaching us in the teaching, in the teaching wisdom literature, always readily expecting, folks, a supernatural response from our God. Let, let me say it to you again. When we approach the didactic teaching literature, we are to study hard and we are to listen well as Jesus speaks to us. And we are to be always ready to ask good questions to our teacher in response to what he's teaching, readily expecting a supernatural response and a life-changing answer, folks, in return. Okay, now in contrast, the devotional literature, are you, are, you cap, are you tracking with me? The devotional literature is more of a sit down with Professor Jesus, okay, during his prep period in between classes. And, and it's within these books that God intends for us literally to communicate back and forth and back and forth and back and forth conversationally with him about what's going on in our hearts. And the hope is that we would wrestle through our primal emotions alone? No. Disgusting. We won't get very far. The, the hope in the devotional literature is that we would wrestle through our primal emotions with Jesus. And as we do that, we learn to incline our eyes and our emotions, right? Our feelings towards wisdom and knowledge. We got to deal with those two words in Proverbs very soon. But we gotta we gotta wrestle through that and incline our hearts and our feelings towards wisdom and knowledge and kingdom perspectives that he establishes with us along the way of that conversation. And so today we are beginning a march through the didactic teaching section of the wisdom of literature, the wisdom literature, which is what the book of Proverbs, what the book of Proverbs is. And as we move forward, I want you to start to think of the book of Proverbs like a really large quilt. 
Everybody know what a, qu a quilt, okay? A quilt. Because how many of you know that each square of a quilt, which is a type of blanket, typically was a cloth that originally stood by itself sufficiently and was useful and had its own intended purpose. And then each of those sufficiently useful and independent squares of cloth were placed together and knitted together into one very large blanket by someone. And we call that we call that a quilt. So, so, the, so track with this imagery because I'm, I'm trying to deepen this out today. So the chapters of Proverbs are a series of seven collections or seven small quilt-like independent squares of teachings of wisdom that once upon a time, way back there, stood by themselves on a given subject matter. Are you with me? And so when God decided, he did this, when God decided to teach us wisdom in order that we might live today in such a way that best positions us to live righteously in a complex world, right? That's what we're talking about. And when God decided to impart his power into wisdom so that we could be glad ambassadors filled with kingdom perspectives and agendas, what I'm trying to say to you today is that God saw fit to do all of that in these seven individual quilt-like sections that I'm calling collections, collections of writing, seven of them. And so the Holy Spirit took all seven pieces of these individual pieces of cloth and united them into a huge blanket of wisdom from our Heavenly Father to his children. And that's us. And so when we practice, yeah, yeah, here we go. And so when we practice reading, reading, reading in the presence of Jesus in the book of Proverbs, you do it from the disposition as a child, right? A child literally being loved on and covered with a blanket of, of wisdom from, from our father. Like, isn't that good news? <laughs> I think so. Listen, the goal of God is never condemnation and it's never arrogance and, or to confuse you with riddles and to make you feel dumb. That's not what's going on in the book of Proverbs. Instead, the goal from God is to illuminate all, oh, praise God, illuminate things for us and to make things plain and to make things simple, not complex, and to love us all the way to eternity. Praise his name. And the main way God does that in Proverbs is to freely grant us perspective into the sole key of understanding all of life. All of life. And we all want to understand our life better, right? And life in general. We, we want that. O okay, then. So I'm going to share right now with you the key, the sole key, the only key to understanding all of life and what life is actually built upon. That's kind of a big deal. Okay, so are, are you ready? Okay, so let's do this. It's, it's on your screen. Here is the soul key for understanding life. Life only makes sense when the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God is the foundation for the entire idea of existence. Folks, life starts and ends with God's purpose, and you can only begin to understand the world once you recognize that the world was set up and designed and is maintained by Him, namely, namely God. Folks, in other words, everything in life 
is for what God says it's for. Period. Folks, there is no other voice in the entire cosmos that determines what things are other than God. Are you, are you tracking with me? This, this is the truth. And, and, and you've got to have this as a backdrop coming into Proverbs. Okay, so let me say it to you another way. God wrote the only dictionary that ultimately counts, folks. Are you with me? So, so what God says things are, are what they are. Okay, repeat after me. What God says things are, are what they are. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. And no matter how many people in, in lab coats and with fancy glasses attempt to refute God and, and to speak um, contrary to what he says in his holy scripture, life truly and utterly has no meaning and can offer you no real answers beyond what God says it does. Period. Because when God speaks, all other voices and systems and modalities are silent. Are you tracking? I'm going to say it again. When God speaks, all other voices and all other systems and all other modalities submit to that voice and become silent. Now, what I just said is actually super deep. In fact, it's, 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 it's far too deep for us to fully unpack today. So, so we won't. So we're going we're gonna to return back now to this concept of, of fear of the Lord because we have to deal with the fear of the Lord in a very real way. And we're going to do that in part three of our Proverbs series. Um, and we'll camp out there for an entire sermon. But for now, let's keep tracking as we lay out this book from a 30,000 foot perspective. Now, now I want you to think of Proverbs as a place where biblical truisms are found, okay? Biblical truisms. And since I'm doing that thing again, where I'm taking a, a word like the Bible and truisms, and I'm placing them together and uniting them and creating a family coined phrase type of a situation, uh, let's define that in a very simple and pastoral way to, to help us to kind of think through this category, because this is everything for us, folks, when it comes to the, the book of Proverbs. So so here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Here's a simple definition, I hope, on biblical truism. Here it is. A biblical truism is a Holy Spirit-breathed statement of truth that is largely obvious and self-evident to a believer. However, it is still spoken as a divine reminder, not a revelation, of important aspects of God's heart and standard for our lives. I'm going to read that to you again. A biblical truism is a Holy Spirit breathed, the apnustos, statement of truth that is largely obvious and self-evident to a believer. However, it is still spoken as a divine reminder, not a revelation, of important aspects of God's heart and standard for our lives. Okay, okay, all right, let, let me try to unpack this for us a little bit. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your minds so clear. Folks, when Jillian and I first got married way back in 1845, we had two dogs named Honey and Briar. And they would always eat at a specific time and at a specific place in our house and in a very specific manner. And, and if you were going to watch our dogs for us um, while we were occasionally away from time to time, I could literally give you a full account of exactly how you should proceed to feed them 
ritualistically. However, um, let me just be honest with you, when Jillian and I would occasionally go out of town, Honey and Briar never did exactly what they did when we were there. Did you know that? They, they never quite did exactly what they would do when we were there. Because when my dad or a different family member stepped in to take care of them, they would get maybe sad and sometimes they would mope around and sometimes they'd get even more excited when someone came over and they get a little bit out of control. Truly, both of our dogs, Honey and Briar, had several different reactions that affected their eating depending on the circumstances that were around them. Oh yeah, here we go. Okay, so so the truism here is for me to tell you how I designed for my dogs to eat and to depict what the norm is. It was a repeatable norm that happened over and over and over and over again. I fed them a certain way and they over and over performed a certain way. And, and, and it was involving their eating habits and my expectations for them. However, what actually happens often ended up being something entirely different with my dogs when their circumstances change. Okay, and that's because the circumstances and the environment and the people made an impact on my dogs. Are you still tracking with me? Okay, so listen carefully because this is so important for us to approach this book rightly. The Proverbs are not, are not, are not, are not, are not promises. They are biblical truisms. Repeat after me, everyone participate. Proverbs are not promises. Say that. Say, Proverbs are not promises. They are biblical truisms. I, I, I want us all to participate. This is so critical. Repeat after me. Proverbs are not promises. Your turn. They are biblical truisms. Your turn. <laughs> Folks, Proverbs show us how things were meant to be. Yes, but how they actually play out is directly and oftentimes affected both by sin and our choices. Okay, in other words, the truisms of the Proverbs playing out in your life are often affected by your sin and other people's sin and trials and life and circumstances and the choices that we make in response to all those things. This is, this is so important. I'm saying it again. The truisms in the Proverbs playing out in your life rightly are often affected by your own sin, other people's sin, trials, life, and circumstances. But here's the key. And the choices that we make in response to all that. Listen, all of this stuff affects how the Christian actually lives out the biblical truism. So, so Proverbs, folks, are, are things that were meant to be, but you cannot look at them as promises, okay? Because when you do that, boom, you make the deadly mistake that directly will sabotage your witness to Jesus. And that's a really big deal. So I need you to focus with me right now. Because if you read, for example, train your child up in the Lord, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is one of the most Famous Bible verses in the whole text that gets Christians, especially parents, brokenhearted, confused, tripped up, and trapped up. So track with me. If you read the biblical truism, train up your child in the Lord, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you tell yourself, Jesus just spoke to me and gave me a promise. And when you seemingly do, 
all the right things as a Christian parent to raise your child, and yet your child still walks away from the faith first. <laughs> first, you're going to question if you did the whole Christian parenting thing right or wrong but you're not going to be gauging it off of the bible you're going to be gauging it off of your child's reaction to your parenting and and then i'm not done and then you're going to start reading a bunch of books and you're going to be talking to a, a bunch of counselors and walking yourself right back into the proverbial moral lens motel of of doubt and discouragement and human effort-based religion you don't want that. That that won't that will not help you in that moment. And and then it just that's just the beginning. And then you will start to sit and begin to ponder if God really did his part. You're like, maybe I did. I've been affirmed by a couple counselors like maybe it's you God, maybe you didn't do your part. And and then biblical insecurity will start to form. It'll start to form in your heart and you will start to think about other categories that you that you haven't thought about in a long time, but then they start to come illuminating your heart and then this biblical insecurity keeps kind of growing like a, like a snowball and you start to struggle in your life and you'll start to wonder if God is actually helping you in the areas that you pray for. But it gets worse because then you will start to have a growing doubt that God keeps his promises. And that is a deadly, a deadly place to arrive in. And then, and then things get really sophisticated as you start to deconstruct whether you can rightly understand the Bible. So this biblical insecurity continues. And finally, this is the this is this is the death valley here. You will start to wander into the deep crevices of your soul regarding the entire concept of Christianity. And and there will be these little these little seedlets and sometimes even large grandiose trees of doubt on whether you actually believe God is good and whether God is caring or perhaps if God is even real. But folks, this entirely painful journey that so many Christian parents track across can be sufficiently avoided with biblical understanding, okay? Because the, that scripture that comes out of Proverbs chapter 22, we'll get there eventually, uh, but, but so the scripture from Proverbs chapter 22 that's depicting, what, what, you know, training your child up in the Lord, it's not a promise. It's what we're calling here at RCC a biblical Truism. In other words, it's the it's a Holy Spirit breathed out statement of truth that speaks to the standard of how things are intended to be. Okay, track with me. So when Jesus speaks and says that a parent who trains up their child in the way of the Lord will have a child that doesn't depart from the faith, when Jesus says that. Jesus is saying that this is, this is supposed to happen and largely does happen more times than not. Are you with me? Like, like that's, that's the standard. That's the standard. That's, that's what you can largely expect. Now here, but look at me, look at me. There are other factors that will influence how your child actually turns out to be okay track with me things like one the brokenness of this world in which your child can become a victim there is many different things whether it could be it could be verbal abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse it could be something that happens in their life losses things like that that affects 
your child. Another one could be your child's own choices. Maybe they live a pretty good life and, and nothing traumatic happens, but your, chi- but your child decides or goes to a party and makes the wrong exchange and they activate a personal choice to rebel against God. And folks, there, there's, there's so much more that Proverbs also speaks to about this subject. This is why you have to read the Bible in tension. Because the same book of Proverbs that says, train your child up in the ways of the Lord and they won't depart from it, has other parts in it that says that, here's another part from Proverbs, harsh words that are unrelenting crush a person's spirit. Okay, so so contextually, crushing a person's spirit means that it breaks, it breaks at a place where they become despondent. Well, we know that long-term despondency can lead to people wandering away from, from the Lord. So, see, that can happen too, and the Proverbs is covering that when you read it with circumspection and intentionality. Okay, so, so that's why today's sermon, and, and really our entire approach to this book, needs to be done slowly and with great circumspection and understanding. Because rest assured, Jesus is 100% speaking to you and me in this book right now in real time today, and he has good news, good news. God is speaking, and he has good news in the book of Proverbs. We just have to do this faithful groundwork first in our pre-appointments, right? We talked about that in the prayer, our pre-appointments within these first couple sermons to get ready to meet with our physician throughout this glorious this glorious book. Okay, so so with that being said, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1 today. That's all we're doing. That's all we could do. That's all we could do. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1. It's it's on your screen. Here's the word of the Lord breathed out, Theotnutos. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Oh, man. Okay, uh, uh, now, though I showed you earlier, now I just, right, I, I put up the graph and I showed you that there were clearly different writers going on. Um, so there are different writers, different authors that contributed to Proverbs. This verse, so like Pastor Brandon, like you just said, there's different writers, but the text says that the Proverbs of Solomon, it was the Proverbs of Solomon. I got you. So this verse is essentially communicating to us that Solomon was indeed the major writer and influencer over this book. Does this does that make sense? Like, like even though we are experiencing 513, just to be exact, proverbs from Solomon um, that are directly from him, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, and Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 actually teaches us that Solomon actually wrote and pondered, guess what? 3,000 proverbs. 3,000 Proverbs. We got a fourth of the Proverbs here from him directly, and that's crazy. And so all the other writers that I showed you in that graph drew from, and they learned from, and they communicated theirs from a survey of all 3,000 of Solomon's Proverbs. Does that that make sense? In other words, the, the other authors either knew Solomon directly or were largely influenced by Solomon's by his work. And some of them, particularly in the school of Hezekiah, so you know, simply took Solomon's Proverbs and then kind of consolidated them down further to package it in a way for us as readers 
to consume. So, so that's why the book opens up and it says, the words of Solomon, the words of Solomon. Does that start to make more sense to you now? And the, and the fact that the truth of how this book was written and how other writers were a part of it, the fact that that's actually nestled in the book of 1 Kings, you can turn to that, and Ecclesiastes, is why the Bible is so amazing and productive to me. It's, such, it's so complimentary, it's so divine, and it's so, it's so God-breathed. And I love it. Now, now the English translation for the word proverb, like what's a proverb? What's a proverb? Okay, so the English word for proverb is actually a phrase that, that stands for to be like. So the book of Proverbs is the book of to be likes. The book of to be likes. And so the Proverbs are God directly teaching us how things are by comparing and contrasting. It's to be like this. It's to be like this. It's to be like this. Folks, Proverbs is God relating to us. Isn't that good news? It, it's him coming from a cosmic place and us coming from a finite place and him loving us well enough to come and speak to us in our language and say, hey, my, 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 my knowledge, my wisdom is bigger than the cosmos, but I'm going to come now down to you and I want to communicate deep wisdom to you. So it's to, so, so here, here to, to be wise is to be like this. To be foolish is to be like that. To be happy is to be like this. So it's the book of to be likes, and it's to help us ponder and to contemplate the truth and the, and the knowledge of God. That's, that's good news. Now, now, within the first collection of writings that span the first nine chapters are what we would call Solom, um, Solomonic Writings. That's what they would call it in seminary, Solomonic writings. And Sol listen, Solomonic writings, it just means that they're directly from Solomon. I don't know why we can't just talk like that as people of God. So the first chapters 1 through 9 just means that this is directly from Solomon, where he primarily did two things, okay, in these nine chapters. One, he, he um, kind of gives us an invitation, I mean, excuse me, he wrote an invitation to young men specifically that were in an actual course back then in biblical history that they were taking at this time on wisdom. So that's what chapters one through nine does. He literally addresses actual young men who are taking an actual course under him. The second thing that chapters 1 through 9 does is it provides 10 instruction identifiable, you know, Ephesians, I'm going to show 10 identifiable instructions in the form of kind of intuitive poems, what we'll say, of a woman who symbolically, symbolically is personifying the concept of wisdom. Pastor Brandon, that's... That sounds kind of weird. I got you. We're going to do this one sermon at a time. So, so that's the first collection of Proverbs. Okay, so chapters 1 through 9, collection 1. We got Sol King Solomon on the scene. He's teaching a class um, to some young men on wisdom, and then he, he shares 10 identifiable um, concepts on wisdom in symbolically personifying a woman. Okay, now within the second collection of writings that spans between chapters 10 and chapters 22, verse 16, we have the longest portion of Solomon's direct work. And folks, within these 12 chapters are 375 of his Proverbs, and they're spoken by God through the human instrument of Solomon. Okay, so so one major theme that you'll see in this um, in this second collection of writings is the wise man constantly juxtaposed to the foolish man, and the righteous man in juxtaposition to the wicked man. 
it's gonna go so it's gonna go a wise man and then a and then a and then a wicked man and a righteous man and a wicked man and then a wise man and a foolish man and it's gonna happen over and over again and here god uses solomon to teach us the truth about his standard for godly and wise and righteous living that's going to be so important and so we get many many powerful biblical truisms here not promises but truisms and throughout chapters 10 through chapter 15 you will pretty much and so within this little section specifically chapters 10 through 15 you will pretty much see the bulk of everything constructed in two line long Proverbs. To, okay, so let me give you an example of this right from the book of Proverbs about what I'm what I'm talking about. Here it is. So do you see these? They're written these like two line stanzas. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rotten rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. <laughs> do, you, do you see that? And so the second collection of, of writings is these series or this type of two lines and two lines and two lines and two lines and two line communications of biblical truisms in and of themselves. And I want you, remember, I want you to think through them as these individual kind of like micro self-sufficient pieces of cloth that become a larger quilt like blanket from God later on down the road. We're going we're gonna to keep unpacking that. I'm just going to keep spraying all this your way. Okay, so, so in other words, the, cele- the, the seven collections of writing, each on their own, are their own section that have their own purpose and stood alone at a, at a specific time in biblical history. They were their own thing, and they were taught individually, but were later placed together in this large quilt of wisdom. But if we come down a level, also, even inside, for example, this second collection of writings alone, there's micro two-line biblical truisms that also served at a time in biblical history, and they stood alone, and they had their own purpose, and they were productive, and they were used and then they were put together, meaning all the two-liners were put together into a large mini quilt-like blanket in and of themselves, too. Okay, so let's, let's keep tracking. Now, within the third and the fourth collection of writings, that spans between chapter 22, verse 17, to about chapter 24. And I'm going to say 22. I, I was having a hard time with that, but we're going to say chapter 24, verse 22. And then, respectively, chapters 24, verse 30, uh, 23, and chapter 34, respectively, we have what's called the sayings of the wise. Okay, and, and first, in the third collection of the early sayings of the wise, we have about 30 sayings, to be exact, that roughly match the Egyptian wisdom from that time. Okay, now the only thing relevant, I'm not going to go deep here, the only thing relevant for you to know is that basically this section is called the early sayings of the wise because it still has so much of Solomon's direct style and fingerprints and authorship all over it as the work arrived in Egypt. But in contrast, the fourth collection, which is called the later sayings of the wise, means that they came kind of distinctly later 
after the time of Solomon's life. And therefore, therefore they probably came around this time of the school of Hezekiah, which is around 720 BCE, which means Solomon would have been dead, folks, for about 200 years when these sayings were being put together. And basically, this is concretely pointing that someone else was writing the late writing. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My pastoral spidey senses are are tingling with raiders that are screaming out, this is kind of getting too intellectual and heady right now. So so let's thread the needle back towards practical discipleship so that that you can actually do something practically with all of this information I'm giving you and and that we don't get lost in some of this. Okay, so, so here's an important foundational truth to steer our ship where I believe God wants us to go with all of this information we're getting so far. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. The order of importance never begins or ends with knowing who wrote something down as a writer in the Bible. The order of importance always begins and ends with radical assurance of who the actual author is. Look at me. And here's the line of truth for us to always remember, and it's productive. The entire Bible is Holy Spirit authored, regardless of which guy wrote it down. I'm going to say to you again, the entire Bible is Holy Spirit authored, irrespective of which guy wrote it down. And so even in the times when we aren't sure exactly who wrote something down, like with some of the chapters here in in the book of Proverbs, or more controversially, constantly in the book of Hebrews, like for me, for example, I can confidently teach and preach Hebrews, for example, as written by Paul, because it doesn't ultimately matter. Don't you get that? Like what matters is that the Holy Spirit is the one and only and true author of the book of Hebrews. So instead of getting all uncomfortable and caught up in arguments surrounding who wrote Hebrews, who wrote Hebrews, it can't be Paul, it can't be this and that. Man, folks, I prioritize discipleship. Does that make sense? That's my compass as a biblical preacher. And and using Hebrews again as an example to make this point clear, I find it pastorally significantly more productive to preach Hebrews as written from Paul because it helps people to connect with God better and there's possibility that Paul could have wrote it. Like, like that's how God designed us to work. He literally revealed himself through people in relationships and came and wrapped himself in flesh in the, in the form of his son. So, so that's why for me, it's like, man, I'm going to say Paul wrote Hebrews because there's a potential that he did. There's, there's some controversy there, but what's not controversial is that it's, that it's God breathed. Listen, so whether we have Solomon contributing or we have the sayings of the wise contributing late or we have the entire school of Hezekiah on the scene contributing or we have King Agor or King Lemuel, like above all, we know that the Holy Spirit, Phaop Neustos, breathed life into each of these people and that the Proverbs is God-inspired, literally God-breathed, spoken, an active word, and it's a Jesus witness creating reality. Don't forget that. And folks, we talked about this in a real way in our Redemptive Christianity series because when you and me start to really understand that the entire canum, 
The entire canon of Scripture is breathed out by God. It genuinely, it doesn't matter anymore if Solomon wrote this down or Hezekiah wrote this down because they're both dead in dust now. They're not the point. So, so when I refer to Scripture in past sermons or in future sermons as we keep moving forward as a church, when, when, when I say Solomon said this and Peter said that and Moses proclaims this, next week I'm going to say Solomon said, Solomon said, Solomon said a lot next week, right? Always remember that it's, there's an author behind the writer. And don't forget it. And his name is Yahweh. Okay, so, so let's keep tracking. Now, now, the fifth collection from Proverbs we have are the writings from the school of Hezekiah. And, and a lot of the Proverbs here are going to use a common, um, uh, are, are commonly using something that is called figurative language. Okay, figurative language. For example, when the Proverbs says um, in this section, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land, that's what's known as figurative language. Okay, it's, it's a comparison. In other ways, or a figurative, uh, fig, anyways, in other words, just in Proverbs chapter 25 alone, the word it, it, it's like or as, folks, it occurs 11 times. 11 times, like it's like this, it's like this, as this is, as this is, as this is, as this is. Folks, so, so what we have here is God on the scene comparing things back and forth and back and forth between various concepts to teach us something. Didactic wisdom literature teaching us something. In fact, Jesus did similar things when he walked on the scene in the Gospels, in his parables, like a farmer who plants da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This, this, the Bible is productive. It's, it, all, it all works out. It's symmetrical, and it, and it makes sense. So, so you can expect to see that style of writing a lot in the fifth collection of writings, and these camps and these categories are so important because if you, if you come to the fifth collection and you're trying to apply the second collection's tools or the first, it, it, it gets wacky. Okay, let's keep tracking. So in the sixth collection from Proverbs, we have the writings of a guy who comes on the scene named King Agur, King Agur. And, and I'll be honest, we don't know much about King Agur. Now, you can go and find some scenery books that are going to, but we don't know much about King Agur. But what we do know is that he was a king that God literally spoke through to produce Proverbs and that the main areas that King Agur talked about as he's inspired by God are, are three areas creation, divine power, and our human ignorance. That's, that's what I see in that section. I'm going to say to you again, the main things that we're going to learn in that section is going to be about creation. This is good news. Like uh, young preachers out there, if you ever want to preach on creation or, or someone has a, a question about creation, it's like, oh, I know where to go. I know where to go. I know where to go, right? So, so, so he's going he's gonna to talk deeply, wisely about creation. He's going to talk deeply and wisely about divine power, divine power. And he's going to talk deeply about human human ignorance. And let me tell you, there is some really important things there when we get there in, in that um, collection of writing as well. And, and then in the seventh and final collection from Proverbs, specifically verses 1 through 10, if I want to be more specific, we have the writings from King Lemuel from Maza. Okay, and here you actually you, know, you actually have the teachings from King Lemuel's mother, actually. Let me explain. Like, Open your Bibles right now. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31. And what you're going to see in there is a little, little tiny, little italicized section above Proverbs chapter 31. And it's going to say the teachings of King Lemuel from his mother. 
Isn't that interesting? Okay, so you see, uh, track with me. King Lemuel's mom was this super godly, legit woman who God gave great insight into. And then she would take that insight and she would teach the principles to her son. And so King Lemuel, her son, grew up and goes down in history and writes it all down. And it was used powerfully and it was productive. productive. And so that is a brief account of how I think through the book of Proverbs. Okay, So uh, that's a brief layout of these seven different collections from its different writers and how they each were written. But now I need you, come on, look at me. I need you to pay close attention because I'm about to unpack our final foundational, infinitely important principle regarding <clears throat> the construction of this glorious book. Okay, so, so here it is. This foundational principle is so critically important. It's, it's on your screen. The last verses of the last chapter of Proverbs specifically chapters 31, verse 11 through 31, and the first verses of the, of the first chapter of Proverbs, specifically chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, serve as a type of prologue and epilogue to the entire book. Man, this is, this is going to get, this is important. So while they are a part of the book, meaning that they're in the book, like they're there, we're reading them, they are not a part of the actual book. Huh. Now, now, what am I talking about right here? Okay, now, if you aren't familiar with like, um, you know, deepened out as a student in English or you're not into Shakespearean stuff like that, you're not a Shakespearean nerd, no worries. I'm going to help you out with these two terms, prologue and, and epilogue right now. So here's a simple, simple yet hopefully super cultural fun way of us to think through prologue and epilogue. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. Okay, here it is. A prologue is like a movie trailer of a major Hollywood film, okay? Though it stands alone, right? A trailer stands alone. It's not in the movie. Like, though it stands alone and it's not a part of the movie, once you go to the movies, it gives the audience hints to what the movie is going to be all about. Does that make sense? Okay, and opposite, an epilogue stands alone as a type of extended movie clip that comes with the DVD version of movies when they are released to your home. Don't you love that? When you get the movie and you get the DVD version of it, the Blu-ray version, it has the extended scene that goes a little further than the original movie. And so that extra 10-minute bonus scene helps to conclude the story. So the prologue is giving you a hint at what the story is going to be about, and the epilogue is an extended reality to help conclude the story more sufficiently. Okay, so, so, so turn with me in your Bibles to the opening seven verses in the book of Proverbs right now. Let's go give you a second to do that. Open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 1. You should, hopefully your, your Bibles are open and you see that. So, so, okay, today we're only dealing with verse 1. You see that in your Bible? Verse 1, we're dealing with the, and, and this is the opening verse of this prologue. And this prologue is going to take us from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. And we are right now, okay, at a 30,000-foot view, classroom-like place where we're trying to understand this book from a construction point of view. Okay, look at me. Then, in part two, we're going to cover verses two through six, which is the rest, uh, uh, the next large segment of this prologue. It's not part of the book of Proverbs. Now, now, here I want you to know, the actual book of Proverbs really actually starts in verse, in verse eight. 
and then it covers us all the way to chapter, um, excuse me, all the way to chapter 31. But in on both sides of the book, we have a prologue and an epilogue. So they're not really the book starting. The book starts after the prologue. Now, now in part two of our next sermon, I'm going to camp out on verses two through six and deal with the concepts specifically of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm going to go crazy about those two words because we got to get underneath them. But it's going to be very important for you to understand the implications of what I'm doing in the next sermon. I'm not yet preaching Proverbs in the way that I'm going to when we actually get into the book. I'm going to keep teaching as a nurse what we need to understand in this prologue or this movie trailer so we can head in to the book. And finally, in part three, I hope you're, I hope you're with me, okay? And then in part three, I'm going to squarely focus on the final verse of the movie trailer prologue, which is verse seven. And it's going to be loaded. It's going to be loaded because that's on the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We got to deal with that for an entire sermon, okay? And so the first three sermons today and the next two are only dealing with the prologue to the book of Proverbs, not the actual book, meaning the first three sermons are specifically addressing the movie trailer and not directly the movie. But please understand that the trailer, the trailer is not the movie. I need you to get that. One more t- the tr- Proverbs 1-7 through seven is not the same as what we're going to head into after we, we finish it. It's, folks, it's, it's a trailer. It's a trailer. Now, however, unlike in the movies analogy, which is going to fall apart now, because you don't have to watch a trailer to, to enjoy rightly a movie, this trailer in the book of Proverbs, this prologue is going to greatly, greatly help us understand what this movie of the book of Proverbs is all about in the first place. And it's not something we can skip over, okay? Unlike a move, the, the movie analogy I'm using, if we don't deal rightly, if we don't deal rightly with this trailer and this prologue of Proverbs found in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1, folks, we simply will not, will not, will not be able to approach this book well at all. So this matters, okay? All of this matters. Now, let's keep moving forward. Because if you're thinking right now, Pastor Brandon, since the book of Proverbs are not promises, but instead are are truisms about how life is supposed to work, how is this really going to help and change my life anyway? Okay, okay, I got you. So, So the first thing that I would say is to be very, very careful to not too quickly look past and discredit how incredibly helpful knowing how something is supposed to work can be for your life. Because if you do any kind of work on cars, any kind of work on cars, you know how invaluable it is to have a manual or a YouTube video guide, right, that tells you how a transmission is supposed to work and and tells you how it's supposed to be put together or how a clutch works in a manual transmission car and, and how to put it together. Folks, it's kind of a big deal. And for those who are not car or automobile or mechanically inclined, if you're going to go camping and you're setting up a tent or perhaps you're just going to have some friends over and you're going to have a sewing party on a Saturday afternoon knowing how a tent is supposed to work and what its f- function is for or knowing how a sewing machine works and how you're supposed to operate it 
it really becomes a deal breaker between those two experiences going well or sucking, right? Like, can you imagine a jungle man who has no understanding, can't speak any language and is totally uncultured and just been around animals his whole life being handed a sewing machine and a bag that represents a tent without any instructions of what it's supposed to be at all? Because without instructions or a guide or a blueprint to know both what they are, namely this is a tent and this is a sewing machine, and how they are to work and then how to operate them, that jungle man is not going to be able to make much sense of that bag of weird material that we call a tent or this weird little construction that we call a sewing machine. Okay, so once we know what life is and what life's supposed to be about, we will then definitely need to know how to assemble our lives well to walk into those realities. Does that make sense? So, so, so the book of Ephesians is telling us how to, how to move into God's story and what it means to be a part of God's story. And, and the book of Jonah is telling us that God is a God of second chances and that we should arise, go out, and call out to those who need redemption. And Philemon is teaching us how to work through family problems in the church and, have, and to be agents of reconciliation. But how do we do all that? How do we practically live that out? Well, here's where God comes on the scene in the book of Proverbs, armor up. And he says, hey, Here's how to do it. It's like this. It's like that. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like that. Come on. The book of Proverbs is productive. Okay. So with this truth, hopefully becoming illuminated today, here's the big, big idea for the book of Proverbs. Here it is. It's, it's on your screen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, meaning that all thinking about how life should work is organized under how God says it's supposed to go. I'm going to say it one more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, meaning that all thinking about how life should work is organized under how God says it's supposed to to go. Pay attention. When I reference God and, 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 and I see his view as the most important view and that it's the only true view that matters, it's at that point that I can step back and say to myself, this is the organizational structure that God wants me to live my life upon. I'm going to say it to you again, and I'll put your name in there. When you reference and revere and fear the Lord, and you see his view, and you see his view as the most important view, and the only true view that matters, it's at that point that you can say to yourself, this is the organizational structure that I want to bank and live my life upon. Folks, that's, that's what we're hunting, and that's what we're aiming, and that's what we're walking towards here in the book of Proverbs. Now, now, quick question. How? How are we going to actually study the book of Proverbs and meet Jesus once we get into the thick of things? Like, like once we get past this prologue trailer thing and, and I do all this kind of teaching and doing all this thing I'm going to do, like, what are we gonna, how are we going to actually study this book? And when we get into the thick of things, like, we can't go line upon line and verse upon verse, and I can't story mode us like Jonah with the mariners, and I can't do that. I, I can't teach deep doctrine like I do in Ephesians. Like, like what? How are we going to do this when we get into 
the thick of things. Like, like once we get past these sermons and this prologue, what does it look like for us to have sermons in the book of Proverbs? Okay, because th- think with me. If we're gonna if we're gonna like try to read along, one stanza about wisdom, and then one stanza is gonna be about children, and then another stanza is gonna be about truth, and then another stanza is gonna be about money, and then a, then the next stanza down below is gonna be about drinking. And, and alcohol, and then the next line and the next stanza is going to be about pride in your heart, and then the next stanza is about nature, and then the next stanza is about love, and then the next stanza is about money, and then the next stanza is about hope? Like, what in the world are we going to do? This is going to be a chaotic sermon. If we do that, it'd be like a the worst kind of purgatory ping pong match, right? Track with me. Okay, so once we conclude our work through for the next three or four sermons through this prologue, I'm going to introduce to you the only way, and I mean the only way that I've been able personally to approach the book of Proverbs in a very real and helpful and discipleship-orientated and wisdom-increasing and Jesus-with-me-communicating type of way. Are you with me? And, and, and this this way um, that I'm that I'm referring to, I I'm being honest with you. I I stumbled across it and wrestled through it and created it and sweated. And when I say created, I mean like I just worked it in me and God in when I was bedridden. And it's what I'm calling the proverbian method of communication. Everybody say the proverbian method of communication. I want everybody to participate. Okay, so say the proverbian. Say it. Method of communication. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so so here it is. It's it's on your screen. Um, this is PMC or the proverb, perver, the proverbian method of communication that that I hope is going to serve you as it's as it served me. Here it is. The proverbian method of communication is a conduit that helps eager, 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 eager Christians. That's going to be an important important prerequisite. You're not eager. This won't help you. Okay, let's do this again. The proverbial method of communication is a conduit that helps eager Christians hear Jesus speak to them in coherent and fruitful ways, both for themselves and for the multiplication of others. Above everything, PMC is first an eager orientation to scriptures to um, to scripture in Proverbs, significantly more than it is a dry system method or approach. PMC, PMC, or the proverbial method of communication, utilizes a methodology only so far, listen to me, as to orientate our minds to Jesus. The PMC is not talking with Jesus, excuse me, PMC is not talking with Jesus, nor leads people astray from talking with Jesus like many other systematic approaches do. Instead, it is like a love boat in Paris that takes us to the dinner table in which Jesus awaits our audience, folks, and the most important line here is right here. This method that I kind of put together and that I'm going to share with you is not talking with Jesus. And don't you ever forget that. In seminary, there's so many methodologies and systems, and it leads people to think they're having devotional time with God, and you're not. And so, listen, I'm not claiming... Pastor Brandon is not claiming that the proverbial method of communication is to talk with Jesus. No, no, no. What I am saying is that the proverbial method of communication is a conduit that will orientate a coherent understanding of the text that we can then meet 
what Jesus is about. And I'm going to unpack that. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that it's not possible for there to be other ways to approach the, the book of Proverbs that would be helpful to you. I would never, never say that to you. But I can genuinely say from the bottom of my heart that in all my years of preaching and searching thy scriptures as an amazing student learner just like you, I have never, ever found one single approach that has been helpful to me at all to make sense of the book of Proverbs until the Lord and me wrestled and, and I was able to see this kind of what we're going to call the proverbial method of, of communication that's going on here. Like, can I just keep being honest with you? Most sermons on Proverbs literally are isolated and they're totally untethered to anything. And honestly, they're very rarely taught as standalone sermons at all. Folks, most commonly, the book of Proverbs is only referenced in sermons by pastors to embolden and to make their point about a different book of the Bible that they're preaching from. But there's very few sermons that are actually directly teaching Proverbs or teaching from Proverbs at all. In other words, most churches don't actually get into the Proverbs the way they get into Ephesians or they get into Romans. We don't get into Proverbs. We just don't do it. Instead, they just reference it. They just reference it. Like it's some this, like a thesaurus or a dictionary. And, and the, I'm going to be honest with you, that is super disappointing to me because Jesus, Jesus put this book here for a reason. And he's speaking to me and you. And, and he has a clear, a clear and productive message for his people to behold. Are you tracking? So, so, rather, that is, so rather that's from seminary or Logos software, I'm telling you, there's very few guides or sermons that are out there that are dealing with Proverbs directly. Folks, unlike any other book of the Bible, and I mean any other book, Proverbs is a largely untapped, living, theopneustos, God-breathed-out resource. I don't want that to be true here for RCC. Okay, so, so once we conclude our mini-series through the prologue of Proverbs or the movie trailer of Proverbs, I'll be teaching the proverbian method of communication that I created, um, and I'm hoping that's going to help you to spend time with Jesus in the way that it helped me to spend time with Jesus in my suffering. And we're going to actually workshop PMC and our You Grow services together. So we're going to have pens and paper. We're going we're to get after it and i can't wait because it's time for the book of proverbs to come alive for us in our church okay so 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 let's land the plane this way as we prepare to walk towards this book i want to deal with two final subject matters and and the first one that i want to deal with is this concept of knowledge versus wisdom because that's where we're headed next and the first thing i want you to know is that they're not the same thing knowledge is not wisdom wisdom is not knowledge and i've been teaching you this uh, concept since we opened our doors on june 9th of 2019 so let me say it to you again when God goes out of his way in scripture and puts two words next to each other that appear to be the same, like weights and sins, iniquities and transgressions, gratitude and thankfulness, grace and mercy, co confess, repent, knowledge and wisdom, he is presenting 
two distinctly different concepts that he wants his children to faithfully interact with. And he is saying in the text that they have an intimate interplaying relationship with each other, but yet they're distinctly different, and therefore we should explore them and not look over them. And this is true in the book of Proverbs as well, specifically around this concept of knowledge and wisdom. So the next sermon is going to be all about us going wild and orientating to these two realities of knowledge and wisdom after um, as we move deeper into the prologue of Proverbs. Because what God is setting us up for is understand that, hey, there's knowledge and there's wisdom, and this book is trying to do something in both of those categories. Because we're going to spend some faithful time in every collection of writing continuing to parse through those two different camps of knowledge and wisdom. And, and we're going to talk about something next week talked with that um, I'm going to refer to as the raw materials of the book of Proverbs, the raw materials. And, and that's going to make a lot of sense uh, very soon for us. Just You just wait. But remember, how we approach our next two uh, sermons coming up isn't going to be how we actually approach the book of Proverbs, right? And that's because the next couple sermons are helping us to unpack the prologue. I know I'm singing a lot, but because this is, we can get lost really quick here. So we're going to need the proverbian method of communication to guide us into the active speaking presence of Jesus once we get into the book of Proverbs that takes off in chapter 1, verse 8. And finally, finally, folks, I want to land the plane with this final focus right now on our man Solomon, King Solomon. Now, I don't know how much you know about Solomon. We're not going to do a character study, but I want you to know that Solomon was the son of King David. And we know that, that, that David did some mighty things in his life, like, like he slayed a giant, right, because of his faith and zeal for, for Jesus. And, and he was a conquering king, and he was a good king, and is considered one of the best kings. And, and, and in fact, he, he's celebrated in the Bible as the man after God's own heart, right? And we also know that David did bad things, and, and he was involved in things that got him tripped up and trapped up. And we see him all over the scene in the book of Psalms, worshiping and mourning the sin in his life. And, and because of David's decisions, he left a legacy of hope for a nation and brokenness for his family. Oh, I'd love to get into that, but we can't. Let me say it to you again. Because of, of David's legacy of walking with Jesus and also getting on boats of Joppa like Jonah did and, and getting off track and allowing fiery darts to hit him in his life, um, he left a, a powerful legacy as a king to the people of God. And he left a broken legacy for his family, specifically amongst his sons. And, and I want you to know that, that he has some sons that did okay, and, and he has some sons that did really well, and he has some sons that ended, that ended terribly. But specifically, his son Solomon. Oh, Solomon lived well, folks. In fact, he was living so well and doing so many things right and, and was so filled with God that, and, and, and following and searching God that, 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 that God collides with him and he says, Solomon, you've been so faithful and, and, and I'm going to reward you. You can have anything that you want. What do you want? And, and I want you to know that, that Solomon, he's on the scene and he, he doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for women. He doesn't ask for 
power. He says, Lord, if I could have anything, I want to be wise. Give me wisdom. I want to be the wisest man to ever live. And so, and so God grants him his request. And Solomon gets wisdom, just incredible wisdom. In fact, the Bible says no one, no one, no one will ever walk this earth that's wiser than Solomon. Okay, so, so, so King Solomon, he's wise and, in, and he creates a powerful dynasty and a kingdom. And, and, and it swells and it grows and it deepens out and it's a lush, plush time for the people of God. And so, and so Solomon, with all his wisdom, he comes on the scene with these proverbs and these sayings. And, and, and deep underneath these sayings, he's communicating something super deep and super important. And I don't want to talk about it yet because then this sermon's never going to end. And we're going to get there next week, hopefully, in part two. But I want you to know something, okay? I want you to know that Solomon did not end his life well. Wow, like, like the wisest man on the planet to ever live who was anointed by God with wisdom, who is literally the writer of the book of Proverbs or the book of it's like comparison and contrast that ushers us into a, a holy, pleasing relationship with God in light of eternity. That guy didn't end well. This, that, and I want you to know this same God was engaged in all different kinds of things that, that honestly, when, when we start to see that and we learn that here at RCC, you, you may get a little destabilized and you may get a little uncomfortable, but I want to remind you of something we talked about in the book of Jonah. We're all a bunch of Jonas and we're all a bunch of Solomons and, 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 and this is why it's so important that you remember with all your heart that God is the sole author of the scriptures, and you have got to deal with theopneustos. It's not inspiration insofar as like, oh, they just wrote it, and it was like they were godly people the way I'm a godly person, and I just write down things that are kind of biblically true, and then we call that God's word. No. When Paul said theopneustos, theopneustos, it was something different, something we cannot unpack. It's beyond human ability. But what we know with radical clarity is that God authored it. And that is so important because we don't have to affix these personalities of David, Peter, Solomon, and juxtapose or presuppose God's morality and God's righteousness at the same time. Let me unpack this for you. A man sins doesn't mean God sins. And a man sins don't disqualify God's word coming out of their mouth. What that means is God is a rescuing and heroic God that loves us so much that he continues to work through us. This is why, family, that's why you could be a confident Christian right now and go, I can't evangelize anyone. I messed up last Tuesday. No, 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 no. Stop it. That's not true. You can walk out as a standing, armored-up, victorious Christian despite your areas of struggle because it's not about you. It's about God, 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 God. You're proclaiming Yahweh, not yourself. You're lifting God up, not yourself. So despite where we struggle in our sin areas and pain points of life, because Jesus is with us and he conquered the grave and came out like the conquering king that he is, we are free indeed to be light and salt on the planet. But track with me. 
what I want you to know as we land the plane today is that Solomon is a great character study, just like Jonah is. Because what we also learn in the book of Jonah is we don't want to end like Jonah. And folks, we don't want to end like Solomon, knowing and being deepened out about so many things in the Bible, yet not allowing the Bible and Jesus to heal and rescue and ultimately save us ourselves. May we not be a people who seek to gain wisdom from this book for wisdom. Because the truth of this book will help you to have a good life separate from Jesus. But folks, it's an exchange that you don't want. Therefore, may we not be, may we not be a people who seek this book to gain wisdom for the sake of wisdom, to activate on our lives, to get riches and to get opportunities and to get relational equity for itself. But may we be a glad people of God that approach this book to have an encounter with the living God, because God has provided this amazing quilt blanket, large reality of wisdom for us to wrap ourselves in so that we can grow warm in Jesus against a cold and vastly dark world. So may we all remain as sojourners as we begin this journey, as those who are acknowledging that this is not our home and we're just temporarily moving through with eyes that are set towards eternity. May we look at the book of Proverbs as a roadmap to heaven and not to earth. And that will be a good end for us. So, so let's pray here. Abba Father, oh Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you today because Lord, we're about to unpack and, and head into a glorious series that has so many trappings. But Lord, right now, as we close this sermon, I lift up the great trapping of using this book for our own devices to fix our human problems and to gain more human blessings. No, no, no. Lord, I pray that we would not have a Solomonic-like end where we see you and we celebrate you and the truth and the power of your wisdom that's found here in these quilts. And then we find that satisfying in and of itself, but that we would search deeply thy scripture and that we would look for the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit, which is the extension of Jesus being with us so that we might continue to be wiser with kingdom bents as we move day by day deeper into sanctification as we prepare to die. We're going to die. We're going to die one day. Do we? We're going to die. This world is temporary. So God, may we prepare to die. May we prepare to die well. And may Proverbs prepare us for that end so that we might rise and live in eternity with you forever. You're the point. Heaven's at the point. Heaven's the location of the point. You're the point. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that all the information and all the, the seven collections and, and who wrote it and how it works and the two-line community, ah, Lord, I just pray that we just see you and that we worship you today. 
And so, Lord, I pray in advance that as we head into a, a conversation where we juxtapose knowledge and wisdom and wisdom and knowledge, and I go crazy here, that your people would get excited about how you continue to creatively communicate. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Let's do this, RCC.